Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and it just takes three easy steps. Go to mercurymile.com. Enter your preferences and sizes, and you'll get a box of running goodies sent out to you. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. It's not a subscription service, and it's great prices as well. And not only have they been hooking it up here in the Rambling Runner podcast for a long time, but they're actually hooking it up for our friend, Paula. She was just on the show. She tore her Achilles tendon, and as predicted, she is doing a pull-up challenge. And I, as soon as she pulled tore her Achilles tendon. I sent her message like an hour later. I was like, I think a pull-up challenge is in your future. And wouldn't you know it, she was already on that point. And Mercury Mile is actually sponsoring her push-up challenge. So go to her her Instagram if you want to enter. It's eat underscore lift underscore be married. Um, you can also see the link for that in the show notes to her episode, Paula Dubavoy. And um, yeah, they're hooking it up. The, the person who gets the biggest, I think it's the biggest increase in the push-up challenge, gets a little Mercury Mile swag. So thank you, Mercury Mile, for hooking it up, not only on this show, but also for Paula. So this episode is with Julie Hartenbeck. Julie, this past weekend at Houston, at the Chevron Houston Marathon, had a breakthrough that for her, basically last year at this time, this breakthrough would have been inconceivable for her. So she ran a scorching fast 248 marathon. So about 15 months prior to that, she set her marathon PR of 307. And at that time, she was convinced, like, hey, man, this is like, this is huge. Like, I might have a sub three in my future. This is going to be my new goal. But she thought that she had just reached something that was going to be very hard to eclipse. And You'll hear all about it in this episode, and wouldn't you know it, 15 months later, not only was she able to go sub three, but she was able to lop off almost 20 minutes off a PR that she spent years trying to get to, and it's the kind of story that you'll you'll hear in a second that, first of all, there was there were hurdles there. This was not just all, you know, all uh, unicorns and rainbows, but... It's also not only motivational, inspirational, but it, it's, it's so, in, it's just inspiring to see somebody who keeps working hard over a sustained period of time, gets results, and then all of a sudden is able to, like, you know, get to another level. And then another, another level past that, past where they even thought they'd be able to get to with the help of others. And it's just a, a really good story. I was so honored to get her on the show so quickly after the Houston Marathon. And I have no doubts that you'll like it as well. So here's my conversation with Julie Hartenbeck. Hello, Julie, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. First of all, congratulations on a wonderful weekend, huh? 248 down in Houston? Yes, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, that was really fun to see. And it was interesting to me because it was, um, 
you know, just a normal morning for me. It was just like, I was on Instagram, just checking things out. And all of a sudden I saw these, this flurry of messages about your marathon time. And I'm like, who is Julie Hardenbach? And how come <laughs> she's getting so much love on her marathon time. And I, after connecting with some people, it was really, really interesting story. So I was so excited for you to come on the show. First of all, second of all, were you overwhelmed when you got back to your phone after completing that race? I can only imagine the messages you received. Oh, absolutely. It was just crazy. It took me two days to catch up on everybody. Like, I just, the amount of love that I got was crazy. Wow. Wow. What was the, the common theme? Just congratulations. You're amazing. And I was just blown away by it. And it was funny because I kind of kept this as a quiet race. So a lot of people weren't expecting it. Yeah, it was one of those things where it was like, I think those two or three people were, were like posting updates as you were running. Yes. <laughs> and it was really interesting. I'm like, I don't know who Julie is, but I'm getting into it. <laughs> so it was pretty fun to follow. That's for sure. And, and I'm so excited to have you on the show because you know, obviously running a 248 marathon is exceptional. I mean, that's a really, really fast time. But your progression to 248 over, especially the last six months or so, has probably been... I would say atypical compared to a lot, maybe some other people who have recently gotten that time. No, I agree with that. Um, and it's funny because I started with Sarah Bishops as my, uh, as my coach about six months ago. And when I talked to her back in June, she was throwing out like, Oh, we can get you to OTQ. And my first thought was like, pump your brakes, girlfriend. I just want a sub three. Like that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Pumping the brakes is not one of Sarah's specialties. She is she, she's good at a lot of things. I don't think that's one of them. No, not at all. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I can't wait to talk about your relationship with Sarah. I, she's a good friend of mine, and uh, she's definitely a unique personality and coach. So I definitely want to get into that. But before we do, and we talk about this whole crazy year for you, can you just give us some backstory about your running, kind of like the foundation of your running? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started running competitively when I was five. Um, my mom and dad were both runners. Um, my dad's the distance runner. My mom is the, the sprinter. Uh, so I was able to follow after my dad here. Um, my mom was a high school track coach. She did the youth programs. So I've been around the track my entire life. Um, I ran all throughout grade school, all throughout high school. I did one year in college and it became too much of a job. I pretty much said, like, I can't do this anymore. It's not fun for me anymore. And I took a step back. So, so let's, through... let's dive into that right there, if you don't mind. Yeah. So what did you, when you were in the recruiting process or when you were deciding to run in college, what were some of the components to a running program that you were looking for? And what did you kind of expect that, that, uh, that transition to look like? So in high school, I started, I did all four years as the top varsity runner in my high school, um, coming in as a freshman and being a decent runner kind of shook it up a little bit, but I stayed there and I just kept improving throughout high school, uh, getting recruited for college. I knew that I was going to be, uh, you know, a small fish in a big pond and my times weren't exceptional. Uh, so I still was, I guess, JV in college. And I, I don't know what I quite expected, but I mean, it became like five, six, seven hours at the track office every day on top of running, on top of study hall. And to me, I was just like, this isn't what I expected. Like, I wanted it to be a little bit more fun. 
Now, where did you go to college? So I actually ran at LaSalle University in Philadelphia and then transferred my sophomore year to Temple University, and that's where I graduated. Oh, so just across town. Yep. <laughs> gotcha. Now, did you grow up in the Philly area? Yes, I did. Okay. What, what town did you grow up in? Uh, I grew up in uh, Bucks County, so Langhorn is actually where my parents still live. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, we were, up, we were down in that area a bunch, actually, because we have friends in the Philly you know, New Hope area, and then I think we were down Langhorn. We went to go Sesame Street place. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, you know, it's like that's like that's like how I identify things where where the kid parks are. But um, oh, yeah. so when you made the the shift down to Temple from LaSalle, how did that impact your running? So I wanted to keep the door open to potentially run at Temple, but I, I my heart still wasn't in it. Like, I mean, I was running a few miles here and there, but I mean, I wasn't doing any kind of workouts. I just, you know, I thought this is, I guess this is what I should do. And then when I got to Temple, I was, I realized that's, I just don't want to run. Like I, I don't want, I didn't want it to be my identity and I want it to be quote unquote, a normal college student. Now had running been, a main part, if not the central part of your identity up to that point? Yeah, I think my mom cried when I told her that I didn't want to run anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, everyone just kind of knew me as, oh, that's Julie. She runs and she runs a lot. <laughs> right, right. It's interesting when you say that because I wonder, like, was it more of like the parental crying because she knows that you're going to miss it or crying because it's just been such a big part of like her life with you up to that point? Uh, probably the latter there. Like, I think that it was just a bond for us. And then she just felt, I guess, a little disappointed that I didn't want to compete at the college level. Right. So you then kind of move on from running and what were you studying in college? Criminal justice. Okay. So post-college, what did it look like athletically for you? So what's funny is I met my husband my freshman year of uh, college. We dated all throughout college. He proposed um, our senior year. So we were 21-ish. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, gosh, you are crazy. You're so young. But like when you know, you know, right? So um, he got deployed. We graduated in May. He got deployed in September. We were married in August. Um, and so when he was deployed, I thought, well, like, what am I going to do to fill my time? And I thought, I'm going to run a marathon and train. Whoa. For it. <laughs> so I pretty much went from nothing to running a marathon. And I, I ran the Pittsburgh marathon in 2009. And that was my first marathon. Man, you were just all about making big moves and big steps. Like, I'm going to get married. I'm going to run a marathon. You're just doing all sorts of new stuff. Now, you know, now I have to ask, because you brought it up before, when you quit running, what did your mom, how did your mom and dad react once you told them that not only were you getting back into running, but that you're taking it to a whole different level? So I had to explain to them the reason that I chose the marathon was because I thought, oh, no one expects me to win a marathon. I can go out and finish middle of the pack and everyone's going to be like, oh, you're great. You ran a marathon. And that's kind of why I picked the marathon over like the 5K or 10K. Um, running so much in high school and college, you had that pressure of, okay, it's a 5K. You have to win it. You have to go hard. And I didn't want that. And that's why I chose it. Um, I think my parents understood that, but thought I was slightly crazy. <laughs> that is so interesting. 
because it's a, it really it really is an illuminating statement. So for you, how early on in your life did you realize that inherent pressure of needing to finish first for for this external validation or or whatever you want to call it? Uh, probably pretty early on. Um, so my mom is very active with AAU, and we did that as um, our summer league, I guess it was. Um, my first national medal with them was in the 1500 at, I want to say I was like 14 or 15. So I, I kind of always had that talent of being a little bit faster. Um, and that's where I got the pressure of, okay, well, you're in it to win it now. Right. No, absolutely. And were you competitive by nature as well? Or was it, so was it like, like a balance between external motivation and internal motivation? Or was there, did one side lean more than the other? I mean, I have two older sisters and a younger brother, so I am very competitive by nature. <laughs> I mean, it's just how it is in our family. Oh, I love that. I love that line because I think it was, I'm trying to remember the study, or it was like a meta-analysis of Olympic sprinters. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the average medalist or gold medalist in the Olympic 100 meters was on average, the seventh kid out of eight, that something along sense. those lines. <laughs> so like the youngest or the second youngest in a larger family. And I think the, you know, the idea being like, they need to, not only are they probably given a little more freedom than the older kids, but they also have to work hard to keep up. What's funny is after uh, my race on Sunday, the first person that I texted was my younger brother because he and I are the two most competitive. And so he ran 253 in Boston this year. So, of course, I had to text him and be like, well, I beat your time. You're next. <laughs> How quickly after that text message did he throw the rain in your face? Like, yeah, well, it rained on my marathon. He didn't. He didn't. <laughs> oh, wow. He just owned it. Yes. He was very nice about it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's hysterical. So you had this the, kind of these, these dual sides competing. You have the inner motivation. You have the external motivation, which obviously when you put them all together, it can be a very competitive soup, I guess. To, to, you know, that's probably a better analogy there. But anyway, um, I can see how that would kind of create that issue. So when you ran Pittsburgh, what was your time and how did it feel having kind of having the pressure off for that race? Uh, I ran 343 and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, my training shoes were, they must have had a thousand miles on them. It was crazy. Um, I had back issues. I walked several times, but it felt good to cross the line and be proud of myself for just finishing a marathon. And I never thought I would run another one, but yeah. <laughs> so what about that post-race recovery led you to kind of, kind of continue down the running path that you had stopped doing, you know, it, three or four it, years earlier? It took me two years to run another marathon because I thought, that's, that's it. That's great. I did a marathon and uh, that's it. But then I had people tell me, like, at that point, the qualifying for Boston for my age group was 340. And people were saying, well, you're so close to Boston. Don't you want to qualify? So then I turned around and I ran Philadelphia. I guess I guess it was about a year and a half later. And I qualified for Boston there, but still didn't run it until 2015. So how were you channeling that competitive nature during this time? 
I don't know, really. I mean, I was happy at that point. I had my husband back home because he was deployed for a year. So it, I like I had other things filling that void. Um, and it wasn't until I realized, yeah, I definitely want to get back into, you know, setting a goal for myself and staying in shape and, you know, continuing to run. And as you picked up steam in your training, did you at some point come to terms with kind of your past running life? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, just because I realized where my strengths are and my past running life did make me who I am today, which I'm thankful for. And I'm thankful for having the opportunity, uh, growing up to be able to get out and run and, you know, compete at a level that most kids don't get. Uh, so I have come to terms with that. I don't know if I will make my son do something like that, but at least I had the opportunity and that's what I'm thankful for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you're progressing in your training, what were you able to do to ensure that you'd be able to kind of have the consistency um, in your training that would allow you to continue to improve, but not necessarily have it you know, pressurized to the point where you would start you know, having some sort of like mental fatigue around the training and racing itself? So it, for me, it was spacing out the races. Um, so I went a year and a half in between my first two. <clears throat> and then from that point on, it was a marathon or two every year. Um, and that helped with the, the mental fatigue and, you know, just kind of taking it one cycle at a time. In 2015, that year I ran four and I finished my fourth one and thought, I'm never doing four ever again, just because I got to the point of that was an exhausting year. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> like, <laughs> were they evenly spaced out? Um, yeah. I mean, I ran Little Rock in beginning of March and then Boston in April and then Atlantic City in October and Vegas in November. So not, I guess not really. No. <laughs> no, you had like two double headers. Yeah. <laughs> so for when you did those marathons, what what was the situation like running that second one? Did you get better as the year progressed the second time around in terms of doing that quick turnaround into the second marathon or did you have it so like the second marathon was more your a race and the first marathon was a little bit more low-key so that's actually an interesting year because 2015 was the year that we were trying to get pregnant and throughout that year if i didn't like if the cycle continued and i didn't get pregnant i would say well this marathon's right here let's let's race this marathon so i was never really competitive during that year uh, Boston was supposed to be my like a race, the, the race that I'm going to run really well at. I ended up straining my hamstring about seven weeks beforehand, but I, I told my physical therapist at the time, I was like, I'm crossing that line on Boylston. You can't tell me no. So she told me how to, how to use that KT tape. And I taped my leg. I was on the bike for two weeks leading up to it. And I knew that having it as an a race was out the window. So how long before the Arkansas Marathon did you strain it? That must have been like right around the same time. Yeah, it was like the week before. Oh, gosh. And, and I, you ran it anyway? I thought it was my knee. And I was like, oh, I'll just slap a knee brace on. It'll be no big deal. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So what was that race pain like? Uh, it, the last six miles were very painful. And I wanted to walk in so many ways. 
And you resisted the temptation? Yeah, I did. <laughs> just because it was cold and windy and I just wanted to finish. <laughs> that's always a good reason. That's yes. for sure. You know, it's, it's kind of like that cost benefit analysis of like, all right, do I want to be feel better in the moment or I just want to get this thing done? Exactly. <laughs> and then, so you had that, obviously not the ideal experience there. So you've run two marathons, neither of them go according to plan. So what made you then do back-to-back marathons again in the fall? So I took some time off after Boston, um, got my hamstring better, did a lot of strength training and thought, well, let's do Atlantic City. Um, and I am a sucker for double races. Like I love the Disney challenges, you know, and Atlantic City had the 10K on Saturday and the marathon on Sunday. And I was like, well, sign me up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're crazy. I, <laughs> I love it. But it's so interesting because it also you know, kind of dovetails into what this year was like in exactly. terms of these back-to-back marathons and really kind of going for it, even when your legs may not be perfectly rested or even healthy in some yeah. of these cases. <laughs> That's for sure. And so after that, after 2015, what were you, what was your mental state like? Because you had, you know, obviously a wild year from a running perspective. Did you think at all about maybe dialing it back from a, from a race, from a racing length, like maybe going for shorter races or what was your thinking moving forward? So um, just after the Las Vegas marathon, probably six weeks after that race, I found out I was pregnant with my son and I thought, well, I'm just going to, you know, see how far I can get through running pregnancy or running through pregnancy, um, which I made it up to 35 weeks. And then I was, I was too hot. I was too big. I was too tired. And I was not doing it. (laughs) Um, I ran one half marathon during my pregnancy in like just over two hours. Um, But I was out there and I was very proud of myself to get that done. Um, After I had my son, I looked at, okay, I want to get back into it. Um, Because at that point, my PR for a marathon was 315. And I thought, I wonder if I can get that down to like 30 something. Uh, So I talked to my husband, we ran, I ran the Nashville marathon, eight months after I had my son. It was the hottest marathon I've ever done. The finish line temp was 88 degrees. They ended up, they black flagged the event. There were several points where people were pulled off the course. It was rough. Um, So I finished, uh, I want to say it was like 3.33. And I was like, oh, I qualified for Boston. That's fantastic, but I'm not getting in. Um, So then I, I shifted my focus to, well, what marathon can I do in the fall to, to make it my goal time? And I trained hard for that marathon. And I did soldiers marathon down at Fort Benning, Georgia, which is a smaller marathon, but my brother was stationed down there and I thought, Hey, free housing, another state off my list. Let's do it. (laughs) So how did it go? I ended up being first female and I finished in three Oh seven. And I was just so hungry then to be like, I can get under three hours. Oh my goodness. That is awesome. So when was, what, t- what time of year was that? That was November of 2017. And when was Nashville? Uh, April of 2017. Okay. So you had a nice, nice little gap there between yes. the two. That Nashville race, holy cow. Well, obviously you <laughs> ran smart because you, you certainly um, were able to bounce back and have a great fall. Have you ever experienced heat like that in a race? 
not for a marathon. Like it, that was just so intense. And I know that there are moms out there that can uh, relate to this, but I was eight months postpartum. Like I still felt squishy. I didn't like feel my best. And I was like, you know, I'm running this in a sports bra because otherwise I'm going to pass out and die. And that was my first time of just accepting who I was in my body and just saying it is what it is. If you don't like it, turn away. <laughs> Which is hysterical to me a little bit because you're also like, you're, you're this incredible athlete, but I know that oftentimes when you talk about, you know, body image and things like that, it's not necessarily, it's all, it's all relative. Exactly. And I mean, that was my first time just accepting like, who really cares? I'm out here doing it. And that's what matters. No, absolutely. And shoot, man, it was 88 degrees. I mean, what the heck? Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, that is steaming hot. That's for sure. So you kicked butt at Soldier. You got first female overall 307, like a far cry from the Pittsburgh Marathon in 2009. That's for sure. And then it sounds like just the competitive juices were really flowing at this point. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I didn't, I wanted to take some time off in the spring though. And come back to enjoying running and enjoying a shorter distance. Um, so my, my time then, the 307 time qualified me for New York. So then I thought, okay, well, I know what, plant, what race I'm doing in the fall. Let's see what I can do. Um, I read online somewhere that the sub-elite program um, was still available for New York and that the time qualifying for that was 127 for a half. And I thought, well, why don't I take the spring and focus on running a half marathon because it had been, I don't know, eight years since I had actually raced a half marathon. So I was like, let's do that. Let's focus on doing a nice half. I did rock and roll DC in March of 2018. And I went like 126, like 30 something. And that was one of the first races that I actually met Sarah and she came running up to me and she was like, I'm so proud of you. You did amazing. Like she goes, let me coach you. <laughs> oh, wow. So how did she even know you in the first place? We, well, I fangirled her on Instagram <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> because I watched her win Marine Corps the one year and then I started following her and I um, crossed paths with her like on the DC trails a couple of times but never really met her face to face because I was like, oh, she's so like, she's really good. She's so important. I don't want to ruin her workout. I'm going to let her go. And then she's like, stop being silly and just say hi. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Everyone has their own running, um, running etiquette. Usually it's like we just project how we would feel on the other person, right? If we're like <laughs> really like happy go lucky, like say hi to everybody. We're like, oh, everyone's going to want to say hi. Where if like, you're like more low key about it, you're like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so when you started working with Sarah, I, th I know Sarah, you know, as, as we talked before, she is, you know, she is a very, very hard worker. She's been on the show a couple of times. She, she's a big time racer. She works extremely hard, but also is the kind of person who balances it with a lot of other things. She worked full time for a long time. She has four kids. Um, just it's a crazy, crazy household, um, the Bishop household. So yes. <laughs> when you started working with her, what was that like for you? Because obviously you were doing something, right? You were continuously improving. You just you know, got first female at a marathon, got 307. It's not as if you needed wholesale changes in order to be a successful runner. So what did those changes look like for you and how did you adapt? So 
I realized if I wanted sub three, then I needed somebody else to push me. Um, having the history with Sarah and knowing what her history was, uh, I felt that she could hold me accountable and she would push me outside my comfort zone. Um, I love the fact that she doesn't sugarcoat anything. Um, she says it how it is, but at the same time, she, she is a mother and you, you have that nurturing aspect of her. So it's nice to be like, Hey, like, I don't feel well today for X, Y, and Z. Can we chat? And, you know, she has every ability to be like, okay, no, you feel fine. Keep going or no, take the day off. So I just loved her ability to, um, to show both sides, but then to also basically make me accountable and push me to where I thought, you know, okay, well, sub three, this is where I'm going to go. And this is where I'm going to stay. Uh, so she worked me into the ground this, this past fall. <laughs> so did you have, because when you were coaching yourself, did you have more of a, a tendency if you weren't feeling quite right to maybe like move workouts around or maybe not quite do the workouts that maybe, maybe not finish the workouts that you intended? Is that something that had been, you know, kind of a, something that had popped up in the past for you? Uh, I mean, I still think that I worked hard, but I did find myself, oh, I can cut a mile here or there, or, you know, if it said 10 reps, I'd be, oh, eight reps is fine or whatever it may be. Uh, it just, to have her understand what it takes to get to a sub three is what I, I liked about it. And when you first talked to her about your goals, what was that conversation like? I think she laughed at sub three. <laughs> I think she was like, oh, we have way more for you. And she's just excited about it. And she couldn't like, she just wanted to get started right away. Uh, so we started, like, I remember the first conversation I had with her. She's like, we're running five K's. And I was like, anything but a five K. And she's like, nope, you got to run a five K. Cause you have to understand what it, what it's like to hurt to make a marathon pace feel easy. And when she explained it to me that way, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, this is not going to be fun, but let's do it. <laughs> Now, that is a great line. You have to run a 5K so you know how to hurt to make marathon pace feel easy. Yes. <laughs> that is a great quote, but also daunting. Yes. <laughs> right? You know, because that's part, one of the things where people, some, I think the, the Instagram poll or Twitter poll you see every once in a while, like, what would you rather run, a 100-mile race or a 5K is always hysterical to me as someone who's never run a 100-mile race. Yes. I'm like, oh, 5K, <laughs> of course. But it's so funny to me that you'll see these people say, oh, no, I'd much rather run 100 miles. And I'm assuming it's because just the, the, the feeling of not wanting to completely, like, redline and go to the well from an anaerobic perspective. Exactly. I mean, I, I did two 5Ks this summer, and both of them, I was like, that is the worst race ever. Who wants to do that for fun? <laughs> So how fast did you run them? Do you remember? Uh, I did. The first one was like 1854, I want to say. And the second one was 1832. And neither were, were ideal conditions. Okay. And how did that stack up to how you were running them you know, in, your, in your late teens? Uh, much faster. Yeah. You, you, were, you were faster then or faster now? Faster now. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I never broke 19 as a teenager. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So you started your build up. You, you, all of a sudden, you went from thinking a half marathon was a shorter race to now like throwing in some five Ks in the heat of the summer. Yeah, um, <laughs> really experiencing pain. Did you 
have a different training model as well? Or is it just, you know, it's kind of like the normal marathon, half marathon training model with some 5K sprinkled in? I think it was pretty much the normal model. Um, we did like speed workout one day and a long run the next day. We took our time um, building up to longer runs um, throughout the summer, but we did spend probably six to eight weeks focusing on, on 5Ks and the shorter reps. And then as soon as my last 5K was done, she's like, okay, now we're in the bulk of marathon training. And I'm like, okay, what am I prepared for? Like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and what did some of those workouts look like? Definitely longer reps. Um, so we did, I mean, she had me doing thousand meter repeats, mile repeats um, on my long runs. It was like three by three mile repeats or, you know, blocks of four mile repeats at pace. Uh, so it's, it was a definite shift of a mindset from where I was doing my long runs at, Oh, just go out and get the miles and no big deal versus my long runs are now also a quality session workout. Right. And how, what kind of paces were you looking at for say like the mile repeats or kilometer repeats? Uh, so it's changed probably. Um, so the mile repeats, I mean, during 5k training, she had my mile repeats at all like six minutes or below. Um, and then as we worked into marathon training, it's gotten down to like, you know, 620 to six minute pace for progressive mile repeats or whatever it may be. And just shorter rest. Oh yeah. I recently, <laughs> I recently did seven by one mile repeats with two minutes rest in between. And my note back to Sarah was just like, why don't you like me? Like two minutes <laughs> is nothing. Oh my gosh. That's great. <laughs> now you mentioned before that in your first conversation with her, you kind of threw out that big goal of like, I think I can run sub three. That's my goal. And her just kind of like laughing in the face of that. Like, that's not a big goal. Like you're going to be able to do that. No problem. Exactly. You got bigger fish to fry here. What did that look like tangibly as you were approaching New York city? Like how, what, what were the conversations like for you in terms of what you thought you were capable of and what she thought you were capable of? So leading up into New York, she had me, I mean, I thought my training was, it was a great training cycle. I had great workouts. Um, I only had a few that I was, you know, a little iffy on or didn't finish or whatever it may be. Um, so leading into New York, she goes, your goal time is 252 to 255. And I thought, no, my goal time is 259. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, all right, like, I'll trust you. I'll do what I can and we'll see how the chips fall. Um, I made a huge mistake going into New York where I just, I didn't eat enough the days leading up to it. Uh, I know that I didn't feel well. And then from the very, probably mile three, I knew I was dead. I had no pop in my legs. I just, I felt flat. I felt dead, but I tried to kick those thoughts from my brain. And I thought, just hold on as long as you can. And I have a very distinct moment on top of the Queensboro bridge of, a, of just being like, I'm done. Like, this is it. And the last 10 miles were the longest 10 miles. <laughs> now, this is so interesting to me because you had run at that point a bunch of marathons in all different conditions with yes. all different buildups. So what exactly, like, what did you do in those three days leading up? And were you aware that you were kind of sabotaging your race on some level? I wasn't. So I think that I, I've been blessed with like being naturally fast and 
not having to think about, oh, like to be at this level, this is the amount of nutrition it takes to get there. And that was one of the key elements I was missing. Uh, so the days leading up to it, I mean, the travel up to New York, the excitement of the expo, you know, the, my husband wanted to see all of New York, I felt like on the day before, bless his little heart. Um, so like, it was a lot of energy. And I think that I just, I don't want to say I forgot, but I didn't take in enough that I should have. And that last 10 miles, what did, what was going through your head during that? Because you, again, you'd experienced tough races before. What, what, what was different about those 10 miles compared to previous races that were, you know, maybe equally as tough or in different, you know, in severe conditions? I think what, what it brings me back to is my accountability with Sarah, uh, because I remember passing a medical tent and being like, I could just stop, you know, have, you know, have my family come and get me right here. And then I thought, what is Sarah going to say? She's going to think that's so lame. Like you couldn't finish this. Like you're trained, just keep going. And so it was a mental toughness of, you know, just get through this mile, you know, one more mile, one more mile. And then before I knew it, I was in central park. So I was like, okay, pick your head up and keep going. You're almost, and like, you're still going to get a PR. You missed your, your goal time, but that's fine. And it, I mean, it was a tough 10 miles, but at the same time, I knew that, I, what mistake I made at that point. Like I already understood. Yep. I did this to myself. So it's funny how you, you talk about this marathon because if someone doesn't already know the time you ran, they might be thinking, <laughs> Oh man, she must've bombed it and maybe missed her goal time by a big bound. You still ran a three Oh two. I did. Yes. <laughs> it was a PR by, by five minutes and I was very happy with it, but you still left like with a, a bad taste in your mouth. I was still disappointed. And I remember turning to my husband and being like, I, you know, I want to go for it again. Like, I know I can do this. And he looked at me and said, yep, I know you can too. You know, just take, take a day or two. Um, I spent a week after New York wallowing in my own self-pity. I had an entry to uh, CIM because Sarah said, you know what, we'll make that your backup race. If New York has complete crap weather, We'll use it as a long run and then shift focus to uh, Sacramento. And so I, I was on the fence that whole week of, well, do I fly out to California and do I make it happen there? But mentally I was like, no, I'm not ready. I need to adjust and, you know, we'll, we'll shift focus. So. And your body went through a lot. In that exactly. Miles. Exactly. So I was, I just knew that turning around and running it was not best for me physically or mentally. Do you remember what your last 10 K split was of New York? The last 6.2? Oh, no, but I know I was well over seven minute pace. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I can imagine. So, so you go from New York and what's, what's the date of that? Is that around October 14th or so? Uh, November 4th, November 4th. Okay. So you had at that point, you have two and a half months until Houston. I had 10 weeks. Yep. 10 weeks. So what does a 10 week marathon training cycle look like coming off of a marathon? So we pretty much just dove right into peak weeks uh, because I, I was already trained. I already had the fitness. I just had a bad day. Uh, so talking to Sarah, I knew that what my nutrition like needed to look like. Uh, I knew what I needed to change. I needed to practice fueling. I have a very sensitive stomach. So every single brand of gel that I tried, it just didn't sit well with me. So one of the, one of my flaws was 
well, if you're just going to upset your stomach, don't take a gel. Uh, so a girlfriend of mine told me about Science and Sport, the gels there. They're like fluid. They're sweet. They're perfect. They're easy to take. And I was like, well, let's try it. So I, I tried it and it sat well. And I was like, well, now I know what my fueling plan is during a run. Um, we changed my long runs from being like short blocks, like five by two mile repeats or whatever it may be to like straight progression runs. Um, and they hurt. (laughs) And why is that? Why did you make that change? Because we thought that my endurance wasn't where it needed to be. And that was like one thing that she looked at of, Hey, okay, you have the speed, you have the, I know you can go out and you can crush a mile. I know you can go out and crush two miles. But can you hold that endurance over a 10-mile block, a 12-mile block, a 14-mile block? Got it. And do you have any – what was the lag time for you to kind of get the pop back in your legs post-New York? So I ran New York on November 4th. I turned around and I ran a 15K early December. I forget what date it was. And I had – uh, an outstanding race there. I went 56, 15. Whoa. And that was a huge motivation of like, Oh, okay. I can do this. I got this. And you basically ran the same speed. You did those five K's in the summer and just stacked three in a row together. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was one of the things that I turned around to Sarah and I said, you know, look how far I've come. And she's like, yeah, I'm not playing games with you. Like you have this. And having that 15K, you know, as a motivation was like, okay, I am doing something right. I'm getting it together. All right. So Houston's approaching. You're getting ready. As you, so you obviously were feeling good about your fitness because you've been fit at this point for like a solid four or five months, like a really high level of fitness going into the race. So I'm assuming that you were pretty confident on one level. Certainly Sarah was extremely optimistic Yes. <laughs> but but what was like your mental state going into the race? Were you still gun shy after New York? Um, I think I was, but at the same time, not flaunting the race and, and, you know, saying like, oh, I'm going down to Houston. I'm going to get it done and keeping it quiet, putting my head down, getting the work done was a different mindset for me because I was more internal to myself than external to everybody else like I didn't feel like I needed to run for everybody else I was running this for me and that was part of the reason why I kept it super quiet and what did your pre-race plan look like so I traveled down there by myself so it was good like I missed my husband I, I missed my son but at the same time I didn't have that extra distraction um so the the days leading up to it I was eating a ton you know I was surprised myself about how many carbs I could eat. <laughs> right. Cause you said before you have a pretty sensitive stomach. So you still, yeah. even in the best case circumstances, you still have to take it easy a little bit just to make exactly. sure you don't have GI issues or something. Yes. So I found that like Gatorade fuel bars and cliff bars work really well for me and they sit really well. Um, so funny, I was going through TSA to um, go down there and the guy told me that I had to take all my snacks out of my bag which was the first I've ever heard of that. And then he decided to mock me with how many snacks I had in my bag. <laughs> Cause I had like 10 bars. I had bananas. I had oatmeal. I had bagels. Like, 
Oh my goodness. That's great. I was a grocery store. And you don't even need to bring an ATM card. You were already ready. You didn't need to spend any money in Houston. Exactly. (laughs) So what did, so, so you end down there, you're eating more, you're able to really focus on the race because you're going solo, which is always a nice thing um, for a parent to do. Because it's a very, it's a very, it's almost a unique, that first day you're like, wait, why is it so quiet? Oh, I had a a noisemaker on my phone because I couldn't sleep with it being so quiet in the hotel. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, that's a good thing too, because even science has shown that your first night in a hotel is you only sleep, you you only like only half asleep because it's that new environment. So anyone who travels for work, and I'm one of those people has experienced this so many times, like at first you're like, oh a night away, this is going to be so relaxing. But the next morning you're like, Oh my God, I slept horribly. Exactly. (laughs) So what was the actual race plan? Like, so we talked about my nutrition the morning of, um, I had to get up much earlier than I normally do just to start eating so I can process everything. Um, the actual race plan was funny because we, we did all these progression runs. So my notes from Sarah were okay. You're doing this the same way that you did all your other runs. You're going to start at 635 and work your way down to 620. And my first thought was like, okay, like, can I hold this? Um, So she was, she told me my goal time for her was 247 to 249. And I remember turning around to my friend and saying, when did my A goal come from sub three to sub 250? Like what happened? (laughs) Right, especially because just ten weeks earlier, exactly, you were the the goal was at best two fifty two, and you laughed at that. Exactly, and so I was like, "Well, like I'm going to trust her. I, I know the training's there, so let's make it happen." Um, and I was like, "I just want the clock to read two minutes or two hours when I cross that line. That's it. I just want a two. <laughs> so you had like a B goal in your head, but like an A goal with the plan. So. I, it was funny because somebody asked me, oh, well, what's your goal? And I said, is it my goal or my coach's goal? Because I said, my coach's goal is a little bit more aggressive than my goal. <laughs> right, which is tough, right? Because when, when the rubber meets the road and all of a sudden stuff starts getting really hard, it can be easy to then rationalize the A goal if you have a strongly held B goal. Exactly. So, so I, I, you know, I said people, I told people, I said, my goal is sub 250, I guess, but really, I'll just be happy with 259. <laughs> All right. So, so tell, talk us through the race. So I started, I signed up too late and I did not get the American development program, which was fine. Uh, so I started farther back in Corral A. I was, I crossed the line like 25 seconds after the, the, the gun. And I thought like, okay, just remain calm. Not a big deal. My first mile was way too fast at like a 618. And I was like, oh, let's back off a little bit. Um, so I thought I settled in for mile two and I clocked like a seven Oh nine and I was like, Oh man, we're way off. Like we got to get this together. Um, so I finally settled in with about, um, just under a six thirty pace. Uh, I tagged along with two other girls from California that I just met that were like, Oh, we're shooting for two fifty, And I was like, okay, I'll run a few miles with you. Uh, so we were working together through like miles four, five, and six together. I felt pretty good, felt pretty strong. Uh, the half marathon and the marathon split at mile eight. So it became a little bit thinner after mile eight. And I just thought like, you're feeling good. You're feeling confident. And I, I remember saying out loud, like a crazy person, this is your race. 
so got to about the halfway point, still clicking away at like 625 pace. And I was like, okay, we're feeling strong. I went through a rough patch at about 14 to 18, where oddly enough, my toes started hurting. And I was like, I remember taking evaluation of my body and saying, okay, the only thing that hurts is your toes. You can keep going. Nobody needs toes. Just keep going. <laughs> and that had, had that ever happened before? It has, but not to the extent that I felt on, on Sunday. So I was like, oh, gosh, like, is it the shoes or is it just mental? <laughs> and then you just worked your way through it? I did, because I just kept saying, like, everything else feels fine. So just keep putting one foot down in front of the other and just keep going. Um, so I dropped one of the girls at about 15 and I dropped the other girl at about 17. And I just kept picking people off. Uh, I just, you know, one person was coming up to me. So I would say, okay, let's go get the next person. Um, and when I hit 18, working with Sarah has kind of warped your mind a little bit. Because <laughs> at 18, I was like, oh, I only have eight miles to go. That's an easy run. That's fine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So obviously, <laughs> so obviously, this whole progression run plan was working pretty well. If by mile 18, you still felt like you had a lot in the tank. I did. And I got to 22 and my, my hamstrings started to hurt. And I was like, okay, like that, you only have four to go. That's an easy run around the neighborhood. Your hamstrings are fine. You can stop soon. Um, and then when I got to 24, I passed two more women and I was like, I passed them in like dramatic fashion too. Like I bolted by them and I thought like, well, if you're going to pass them like that, you got to hold on. Like you can't like let it go now. And when I saw the clock at 24, I realized like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. Like you, you can hold on. Um, so then when you hit mile 25 with one to go, you're back into like the downtown area. And I knew the finish line and I knew where it was. And I thought like, just finish this thing. So my last mile was, I don't know how it happened with all Sarah's progression runs, probably that my last mile was sub six. And no way. <laughs> It was like a 549 pace for the last 1.2. That is awesome because <laughs> that's basically the pace that you ran in your fastest 5K yes. over the summer. It was, <laughs> yes. it was, five, it was a 555 pace, right? It was almost yeah. that, that, that was that exact pace, which is hysterical because anytime I talk to Sarah about running marathons and what people are capable of, she always says the same thing to me. She goes, if you can run a 5K at a certain pace, you can run a marathon at that pace. Yes. It's just a matter of putting in the work. <laughs> And so when she told me, she's like, you're going to negative split this, this marathon. And I was like, I've never negative split in my life. Like I cannot negative split a 5k and you want me to neg negative split a, a marathon. And sure enough, I did by a minute and 10 seconds. And I was like, I don't know how I did that. That is so awesome. Now through all of this in the afternoon, you've had a couple of days to kind of think about it. What, do, what are your, what is your opinion and your ideas about just talent and like ability and like people's limits because it seems as though this has been kind of like a moving target for you and you're you know continuing to improve and having to reset not only what you think about this generally but specifically for you so it, it, i think it's funny because i think you hit it right there that like your limit is a moving target um, I originally thought like, oh, my limit might be, you know, three hours and 15 minutes or, oh, my limit might be three hours, but now my limit just keeps getting further down, further lower. 
And after I finished, you know, the obvious next goal is 245. And I'm sitting here, part of me is terrified of that goal. And then the other part of me saying like, well, it's three and a half minutes. Like it's going to hurt, but you can do that, right? And 245 isn't just a number. No. <laughs> no, that's also the Olympic, Olympic trials qualifying standard as well. Exactly. And so when I talked to Sarah back in June and she threw out that goal to me, I was like, okay, you are crazy. Like I just want a sub three. And I always thought that was a long shot goal. Like, wouldn't it be nice? How crazy is that? And when I finished on Sunday, I thought this is more tangible. Like this is reality now. Yeah. Cause what in, in, the, in just under a year, just under a year, you took off 19 minutes. Uh, no, yeah. was that two? Th- yeah, no, two thousand seventeen. You ran. Yeah. Uh, no, yes, yeah, so it was a little over a year, right? Yeah. So it was, a, it was fifteen months. You went from three hundred seven to two forty eight, which is a huge leap. And you yeah. put in a lot of time. It wasn't like you ran three hundred seven on twenty miles a week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but what's funny is I ran three hundred seven probably on like fifty five miles a week. Uh, so talking to Sarah, she's like, well, you're not going to run sub three on that. We up my mileage. Um, and now even to talking what? to, uh, I peaked at about 75 to 78 miles. Um, but on average I was running about 70 miles. And were those singles or would you throw in some doubles? Singles. Oh, wow. Yeah. So would you take a day off? So I have a run streak going. <laughs> oh, okay. So my run streak is like 620 some days or something. Oh, you don't know it? Uh, not off the top of my hand right now. <laughs> oh, funny. I know a lot of a lot of run streakers, they got that down to like the hour. I want to say it's like 624 or 625. Okay. So, yeah, it's up there. And that was one of the things that Sarah's like, you're crazy for not wanting to take a day off. But it means you don't have to run double. And I'm like, I'll take that. <laughs> so what does that mean for incorporating easy and recovery runs? Like how many of those do you do a week and what do they look like? So I have my two workouts a week. Everything else is easy runs. Um, We were learning, we're still learning uh, what it is, my recovery paces versus my easy pace. Uh, My recovery pace is tending to be about 8.15. And then my easy pace is tending to be about like 7.50 to 8. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on how my body's feeling and letting it go. Yeah, I was listening to another podcast with with a coach who basically said like if you run your easy paces basically saying no matter what your ability and he's a coach of some of the best runners in the world like your easy pace should never be faster than your 5k pace plus two minutes exactly which is pretty much exactly what you're talking about yes yeah um and like you said sometimes they're different than others if you wake up early versus you're nice and warmed up you know those can do those can feel very different i know they do for me Oh, absolutely. Whether or not you ate before and what you ate and the time of day and what you've done all day, it's just, it is a matter of, you know, playing the game. But that's one thing in the past six months that I've learned is to listen to my body and to listen to, oh, this pace is too fast or my breathing is too heavy or my legs hurt and realizing that the easy miles don't need to be raced. And that was one thing that I used to do to, I, I don't know, to make myself feel better, to be saying like, oh, I did my easy miles at 7.30. And it's like a cheating way of like saying you're improving. Exactly. It's like, oh, I used to run my easy paces at this and now we're buying it that. Mm-hmm. And it's like an easy way of being like, see how much I'm getting better? And you're like, yeah, no, that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. 
Yeah, no, I've fallen. I, I have definitely fallen into that trap before, no doubt about it. And sometimes it's just more fun to run faster. Oh, so yeah. you can have like the right intentions in the world, but you're like, I just like how this feels. I'm going to keep doing it. And if you keep doing it too much, you know, it's going to backfire. Exactly. Julie, I am so thankful for you to come on the show today. This was a really fun conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And one last question. Um, what's next? Well, what's, what's going on for 2019? Do you have any anything on the calendar yet? Uh, right now, Boston is on the calendar. But as of right now, the plan for Boston is just to high five as many people as I can and kiss babies along the way um, and just enjoy it. Uh, otherwise, I haven't quite figured it out and I'm still just soaking it in. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Julie, for coming on the show. This was a blast. As always, all my guests, man. I'm just so lucky to have so many good guests come on this show. I feel like every time I record one of these things, I learn something, if not more than one thing. That's for sure. And this one was no exception. Also, big shout out to Mercury Mile and Megaton Coffee for sponsoring the show. You can save on both of these great products and services using the code RamblingRunner10 at MercuryMile.com and MegatonCoffee.com as well. And as I mentioned a couple weeks back, I am now a coach. So you heard Julie talk a lot about her relationship with her coach. I'm a coach now as well, certified coach through uh, the Jack Daniels VDOT certification site. And I work with Lowell Running uh, Company here in Massachusetts, but I coach people from all over the country and if you want to be coached by me just go to lowellrunning.com that's l-o-w-e-l-l lowell is a city here in massachusetts so lowellrunning.com thank you so much for listening it's greatly appreciated and happy running